0: Yeah. Yes. Amen. We praise you today, Lord. We thank you. And Lord, it is our prayer that we would rather have Jesus than, than anything. Houses, buildings, lands, silver, gold, all the material things that, that we've lost. Lord, we, we would like them and we want them back, but we need you more than anything. And I pray, Lord, that is our desire this morning. As we come to your word in an echoey, dirty, hollowed out, at this point, warehouse. God, it's our hearts where you dwell. And may you work in them richly today as we come to your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Take your Bibles and turn to Exodus chapter 24, that's where we're going to start. We're going to be looking at a a few passages from Exodus this morning. This is our uh, based on our reading this past week for our D group, uh, our our, uh, connect, no, something 360, 260, Foundations, there we go. Right, foundations through two hundred and sixty. Got it. That I hope you're still following along with. And we uh, this week we started in chapter twenty. Was that right? Twenty and twenty-one, or, or nineteen and twenty? Yeah, and then we jumped twenty-four and read through thirty-one. Was our were our readings this week? And the title of this message is Preparing God's House, and as a matter of fact, most of what we read this week was all about the various instructions that God gave Moses in uh, building the tabernacle, chapter upon chapter of the utensils that were going to be used, the altar, the the Ark of the Covenant was in there, The the kind of the, the springboard verse this morning to look at this whole section of scripture is Exodus 24 3. That's what's going to get us started and get us heading that direction. Um, we'll, that'll be on the screen. I'll read another verse that's not on the screen but says something very similar. Exodus 24 3 says, Moses came and told the people all the commands of the Lord and all the ordinances. Then all the people responded with a single voice, We will do everything. That the Lord has commanded. And if you jump down to verse seven, you see something similar. He then took the covenant scroll and read it aloud to the people. They responded, "We will do and obey all that the Lord has commanded." Now if you read the passages, uh, the, the, the chapters this week, one of the things that struck me was how many times Moses went up and down that mountain. and he weren't no spring chicken but up and down go tell the people okay he went tell the people he went back up now go tell the people and he went back down i'm thinking couldn't he have told them all at once it would have been a lot easier but it was important that moses get the message to the people in the order that god wanted them to get it and i think his going up and coming down probably punctuated those messages uh, pretty pretty strongly now, if we go back, and, and I, I think there's a whole sermon in this passage in chapter, uh, chapter 20. If we go back, Moses comes down and says, this is what's going to happen. And the people say, oh, we don't want to hear from God. He'll kill us. Uh, you speak for us. And, and Moses tells them, don't be afraid of God's voice. Don't be afraid to hear what he is saying. And certainly, don't be afraid to obey what he is saying. And then the people respond, chapter 24, and in a couple other places, we will do everything that we're told. So that's, that's actually the first point of my message this morning, It's looking at the people's response. While on the mountain, Moses got the Ten Commandments, this is the first round of Ten Commandments, the first set of tablets. We are being set up for our next, what I hope is our next reading, chapter uh, 31 or 32. Yeah, chapter 32. If, if, if it's not the next chapter in our uh, section, I don't know why. Is it? Yes. Okay, good. Good. We're being set up here. Um, the, the people are making these bold statements about we will do everything that the Lord commanded, and that's good, and and, and they should be, and and that should be our response too. We will do everything the Lord is commanding. I think in particular, what we see here is the people responding to something completely unusual in, in what they are used to seeing from God. Now, you would think that they wouldn't be surprised by it. That they wouldn't be shocked that God is doing something unusual. But when God does something unusual, the people should listen, and they did listen. Now this isn't the first time. This isn't the the, the first time they've seen smoke and fire and those sorts of things. They saw it at the Red Sea when it was parted. They they looked back to their. Uh, uh, just prior to the exodus from Egypt, and they had plague after plague. They, they knew who God was, and yet every time He shows up, He does something a little different for them. He, he shows up in a new way. He, he, he shows up in a way that they didn't expect or that they hadn't experienced before. And when God does that, the people listened. God has shown up in a way for us, for First Baptist Sulphur, for our community, for our metropolis of Lake Charles, in ways that we've not expected and in ways that we've not experienced. Now, if we look back, we can all look at times when God has provided what we've needed, but, but Amy is right. It, it, it has been Amazing, and yet it probably shouldn't be still that every time she's not joking, every time we begin to, to discuss um, running out of something in the bus barn, somebody shows up with a trailer. And, and we, and, and she again, she's not exaggerating. We, we've had conversations, and it's usually me that says, Hey, we've gotten money for hurricane relief or disaster relief. Do we need to go buy? Diapers, do we need to go by? Those things that go the fastest. And if we haven't already heard, I swear to you, within 10 or 15 minutes, Tom gets a text or a phone call from somebody and says, incoming today at 2 o'clock. And lo and behold, sure enough, on that trailer are the diapers that we would go by or or whatever it was. It's it's all the time. We are experiencing God in ways that we haven't before or at the very least haven't noticed. Maybe it's our fault. Maybe he shows up like that all the time and we're just so busy. We're just so involved. We're just so... uh, single-mindedly focused on whatever our life has at that moment, that we've missed it before. Y'all, we ain't missing it right now. And what this should do to us is the same thing that it did to the people of Israel. When God now speaks and and says to do things, we should immediately hear him because we've seen him work. We've seen him do unusual things if I have to put air quotes around that, I will, unusual things, and we should be looking for him to say something. God never gets our attention and then shuts up. If God is rattling us, shaking us, boy, wake up. Okay, I'm listening now. That should be us. God, what are you saying to us? And then our response to be, should be, just like the, the, the voices of the people of Israel, we will do everything that the Lord has commanded. And I think that is both a response to what has happened and a response to what will come. We will do everything the Lord has commanded and we will do everything the Lord will command. We will be ready to respond when he says to do something. When God was doing something unusual, the people listened. And then when God spoke, when God spoke from this new situation, this new circumstance, this new normal that they were going through, then the people, and we should obey. God, you've got our attention now. What should we do? What do you want us to do? And I firmly believe the, the bus barn, uh, Operation Bus Barn, as we called it at the beginning, um, the, the, the coordination of having yards cleaned up and those sorts of things, those are all part of the ministry We have been talking about for years having to get outside of our church to do ministry. Well, it took God getting rid of the church to do it, but we are now outside of our church walls doing ministry in ways that we would have never, A, probably done, or B, even had the opportunity to do without him putting us in this situation. God is done something unusual. Now let's listen to him speak and obey when we hear him. So that's the people's response to what was going on. Again, verses 24 through 30 are all about the meticulous instructions that God was giving to build the tabernacle, build the place where he would dwell. And Part of their response then was to bring their gifts, and that's the, the second point this morning is the, the people's gifts. And there are three verses that uh, we, we're going to jump to uh, to look at that. First, Exodus 25, verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses, Tell the Israelites to take an uh, offering for me. You are to take my offering from everyone who is willing to give. Now, that is interesting there at the end. he It is not a compulsory offering. It's from everyone who is willing to give. And he describes this sort of gift that they needed. Gold, silver, bronze, blue and purple scarlet yarn, fine linen, goat hair, ramskins, fine leather, acacia wood, on and on and on and on. All the things that they would need to build the tabernacle and to prepare it for worship. But the people are to provide for that. Verses, uh, verse 20, chapter 27, verse 20 is the second verse. You are to command the Israelites to bring you pure oil from crushed olives for the light in order to keep the lamp burning regularly. That one does not sound as voluntary. Command the Israelites. And then chapter 30, verse 13 Everyone who is registered must pay half a shekel according to the sanctuary shekel, 20 geras to the the shekel. This half shekel is a contribution to the Lord. Throughout our reading this week, we saw three different places where the people were encouraged to give, commanded to give, and commanded to give. Uh, One was, you're encouraged to give these offerings to the building. Second was, Everyone's commanded to give olive oil to keep the lamp burning. And then, for lack of a better term, uh, the third command was everybody's going to be taxed to support the temple, one shekel. And if you think back to, um, we've watched the nativity story uh, every Christmas uh, for the past few years. And when they're setting up the table in Nazareth for the taxes, the, the Roman centurion says, one half shekel for the temple and then whatever he says that Caesar gets. And that's what they did, that was their temple tax, exactly what it says right here. These were the people's gifts to what God was doing in their midst differently than he had done before. God had never had a house, he had never had a tabernacle, he had never had any sort of dwelling place. And here they were building him one and the people were to be a part of what he was doing, what he was requiring. And some of their part was a requirement and some of their part was voluntary. But regardless, we see in these passages that the people have a part to play in what God's doing. Israel was not just sitting back and letting God and Moses hash it out, and then Moses would go and get the contractor to do to build the tabernacle and kind of lead it and say, okay, well, now when it's ready, then everybody shows up. They were all a part of what he was doing. Now, everybody there could not build a tabernacle. Not everybody there could carve uh, the mercy seat out of gold. Not everybody could work the wood and, and make the poles and all the different parts that they were supposed to do. Not everybody could sew as well. Not everybody could uh, 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 carve the jewels and that sort of thing. But everybody still had a part to play. Everybody had something to do. Certain workers were particularly skilled, and we read about those fellows, two of them by name, in chapter 30, 31. He is set apart. God's Spirit is on uh, uh, Bezalel to do uh, the artistic work in gold, silver, and bronze to cut the gemstones, and Aholiab uh, to, to make all the things I've commanded you. So two guys in particular from the group were particularly skilled for the work that God had called them to do, and they were set up as leaders to be a part of that. But everybody in the community had responsibility. For some, it was gifts. For some, it would have been labor. We we see that when back when I was talking about Nehemiah on the um, the, the, the video messages when, when we weren't meeting yet. The the wall that was built around Jerusalem, when Nehemiah came to rebuild it, if you remember, there were some 49 people and or groups or families that were mentioned that were doing the work of building the wall. And some of those groups got their titles thrown in there. They were uh, uh, Levites, they were priests, they were artisans not wall builders not masons but they were goldsmiths and jewelers and and all these other people that may or may not have had a talent for building a wall specifically in nehemiah notice that he didn't ask for all the people who had built walls before but instead everybody in the community had a section of wall to build whether you knew how to build a wall or not and if you remember back also, every one of them had a trowel and a sword, whether they were military men or not. They had responsibilities, and sometimes our responsibilities don't look like our talents, our training, or our gifts. It's just what we have to do because that's the situation we're in now. We see that there, and I believe we see that today. Today. I I never planned to to be a part of rebuilding a church. The assumption is for any pastor, someday you might have to build a building or or that sort of thing, but they they don't have a class for this in seminary. And if you're not good at it, well, that's just tough because the responsibility is still there. Every one of us as a church, as church members, have responsibilities that will arise, and, and but I'm not good at that. Nobody asked you if you were good at it. It's just what needs to be done. We have a gap to fill. People's gifts are necessary. And we can see this in the the grand picture here of what was going on in the life of Israel. As they were moving through the wilderness, as they were making their trek, at this point they thought, to the promised land, every one of them still had a responsibility to be a part of getting them there, and and what was the process uh, in the meantime. And so the people brought their gifts Whatever those gifts may be. The third thing that, uh, third aspect of this long section of scripture that jumped out to me were the, the people's hearts. And we see that in chapter 30, verses, uh, verse 38, and chapter 31, verse 16. 30, 38 says, anyone who makes something like it to smell its fragrance must be cut off from his people. Michael, what? Okay, well, if you read, he's talking about the, uh, the incense that they made for the tabernacle. And he's given them the recipe. This is the incense that I want you to burn in the tabernacle. And, and this passage talks about Y'all can't just make that incense because you think it smells good. This, this, is, this is temple, this is tabernacle incense. If you like incense and you want to smell it, that's great. Make some, but, but don't make this just because you want to smell it at home. In, in other words, turn your heart toward me. The, 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 next, the next passage, 31, 16, is uh, very similar In this case, it's uh, talking about the Sabbath. 31.16, the Israelites must observe the Sabbath, celebrating it throughout their generations as a permanent covenant. Again, one day a week, the seventh day of the week, or or actually the, the first day of the week for them, the first day of the week set it apart. No, I'm sorry, the seventh day, Saturday. Yes, the first day of the week set it apart for me. Turn your heart to me and incline your heart toward me. See, not only does everyone have a part to play in their gifts to give to what God was doing, but everybody has a responsibility in the commands that God is giving. In the society that God is setting up, everyone has something they are supposed to do. So now, it's no longer give a gift if you want to, or even give a a, a shekel or a half shekel because you have to, but instead, as a community, all of you obey these commands. And to do these things, they had to incline their hearts toward God and not themselves. I mean, n- notice, don't make the incense, as an example, don't make the incense just because you think it smells good, because who are you putting first there? Yourself. You want your house to smell like this incense. It's not what it's for. It's for worship. Set aside a day for me. Now, we they would have said, but if, if we work on that day, we'll make more money. Our our crops will be better. Our herds will be better. When when I was at a church in the middle of cattle country, that's what I heard a lot. The ranchers, they couldn't come to church because they had to check the cows on Sunday morning. That's what I always heard. I, I'm I'm pretty sure God set it up so that those cows would have been fine for just a few hours. I didn't get very far with that argument, but... You know, I tried. But their responsibility was to set their hearts on the things of God. Look to Him, and even in all of these various um, restrictions and, and and decorative items of the the. Uh, The tabernacle and what Aaron had to wear and the utensils and the altar, the ark and all of that. Every part of it was to set their eyes on God. At at, at every point when they would turn and they would look in that tabernacle, whatever part that they were, were in, they would remember the command, we have that color yarn because God said have that color yarn. We have this set up a certain way. Aaron wore certain jewels to remind him of the tribes of of Israel, to remind him of the people, the reason he was there to begin with. Every part of that was to get their attention and focus their attention and their heart on him. And for six chapters, seven chapters... God meticulously tells them what to do and what to build. Now the message this morning is preparing God's house. That's the title. That's the the theme. And y'all, that is what we are doing right now as a church. We are preparing God's house. But I'm not talking about a building. We are God's house. We are God's house. You can scan, you can, you can drill down, you can, you can look till, till your eyes are red and your fingers bleed, and you will find no New Testament command for church buildings. As a matter of fact, you won't even find church buildings in the New Testament. They they met at the temple, they met at homes, they met at the outer portions of the temple, but there is no New Testament mention of a building for the church. There's no tabernacle, The the temple was just a useful place to meet because, hey, let's meet at the colonnade in the temple. Everybody knew where that was. The reason is because we are the temple. Over and over and over, the New Testament tells us who the church is and what the church is. And the what is the people. That is the church. And if that's the case, and it is, and if we read the Old Testament and it has something for us today, and we should because it does, then the question we must ask is, what do chapters 24 through 31 have to do with the New Testament and us? And I contend that it has to do with us because the church, the people, must take meticulous care with our bodies us as individuals and our body, us as a corporate group. The same amount of care and dedication and uh, particularness, whatever that went into the yarn and the decorations and all the different parts of the tabernacle goes into us as individuals examining our lives and pulling down the things that don't belong and building up the things that do. The New Testament is clear on what we, I am supposed to be as a follower of Jesus. There are no gray areas. There's no, well, I can be kind of this or kind of that. When Paul says, these sorts will not inherit the kingdom of heaven and these will, he's making clear those things that we are not supposed to do and the things that we are supposed to do. And so the church, in building up its building, in preparing its building, preparing God's house, does so by looking inward into each and every heart. So is God's house, as his temple, as his tabernacle, as the place where he dwells, we, the people, the individuals, must first respond in obedience. If Jesus says, love your enemy, we love our enemy. If Jesus says turn the other cheek, we turn the other cheek. We don't have the luxury or the liberty to say, I don't want that decoration in my life. I don't like that on the wall. It doesn't matter. That is the command. That is to live as Christ. And so we as the church must respond in obedience. Again, He's gotten our attention by doing things differently than he's done in the past or doing something a little out of the ordinary or allowing something to happen that is uh, uh, difficult. He's gotten our attention, and now that he's gotten our attention, I guarantee you he will speak, and when he does, it will be a matter of correction and redirection and command and then we must respond in obedience as the people of Israel did. They had just come from Egypt, they had seen the temples, they knew the sorts of things that the gods demanded, and what God was asking for here, while in some ways similar, wasn't what they were used to, wasn't what they had seen. It was different from the rest of uh, the the kingdoms around them at the time. It, It did not have the same requirements, and it brought a different picture to mind when they put it in place. As God commands us, as God directs us We will look different as a people from the rest of the world. We will respond differently. We will say, yeah, but the world does this, and it doesn't matter what the world does. Jesus said, do something different. Or we might look at the world and say, I can't respond that way because the world won't let me. It does not matter what the world lets you do or any other group requires of you or says something should be, it only matters that we respond in obedience as God's house. As God's house, number two, we must give of ourselves for the building of his temple. And I'm not talking about uh, a temple tax. I'm not talking about our tithes and offerings, though, yes, we gotta have those too. I'm not talking about Uh, oil for the lamps. I am talking about giving our lives to the calling that Jesus has placed on this church as a corporate body and on us as individuals. Every one of us has a specific calling on our lives. And he did not call any bench sitters. There's no second string in the church. There's no backup. We are all on the field. We are all starters for the team. And then we must give of ourselves. We must lay ourselves on the altar, Romans 12, 1. A living sacrifice. Living because while we put ourselves on the altar, we're going to have to get up and do things. But an altar because when we are there, we are killed. We die to ourselves and are now useful to the kingdom. That is our purpose. A living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to the Lord. How do we get holy and acceptable to the Lord? Obedience, the first point. So if we respond in obedience first... Then we give ourselves to the building of his temple. We become what Paul said in Ephesians 2 19 through 22 on our Wednesday night study, way back when we had that 75 years ago. We read this, and and, and Paul said, So then, you, church, y'all, you're no longer foreigners and strangers but fellow citizens with the saints and member of, members of God's household. Now, first he calls us members of the household, and, but Paul loves to mix his metaphors, does it all the time. First, we're members of the household, but then we are built, suddenly become a, member of a part of the house itself built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, in Jesus, the whole building being put together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also being built together for God's dwelling in the Spirit. There is a major remodel that God wants to do on our church. And that does not have anything to do with paint and sheetrock. It has to do with the people. He wants. He is building us together for God's dwelling in the Spirit. And when you're building, if if you're putting in the materials and you're and you're you're stacking them up, if it's bricks or cinder blocks or uh, whatever type of material you're using you come across that brick that's cracked the cinder block that's not whole if you're doing it well you don't well here we patch this in here we can you know we can make this fit give me a piece we'll break this piece and we'll no that block gets thrown to the side and 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 the good block is put in its place the beautiful thing is that, that God can actually take those broken bricks and he can, he can, he can fix them. We're, we're all broken bricks. We're all half cinder blocks in reality. And God can build a strong church with us as broken bricks and half cinder blocks. But the thing is, he is not going to put us in broken and in half. He's going to fix us first. And then he is going to uh, build this temple. But the remodel part is him taking out the bricks, taking out the cinder blocks, taking down the parts that don't belong in us, in our body, as he grows the temple. In him, you are being built together because we have given ourselves to the building of his temple through obedience Lastly, number 3, we must incline our hearts toward his mission as God's house. As God's house, we must incline our hearts toward his mission. The mission of the tabernacle was to make to unify a people. We're going to see over and over as we read through the Old Testament the disintegration of the unity of the people of Israel. Over and over and over, they split and they divided. But the reason that Aaron had the ephod with the 12 stones, he had two stones on his shoulder, one for six tribes, one for six tribes, and then he had 12 stones on the front, each one inscribed with the name of the tribe. The reason he did that was because of the unity of the people. They were all of Jacob. And for a couple of thousand years... They fought and they fractured and they split to the point that they eventually, after Solomon's reign, became two kingdoms. And I believe primarily that split came because, and all the fracturing involved with it, came because they did not incline their hearts toward the mission the mission of being a representative people of God to the rest of the world. So as God's house, as his dwelling place, they had the tabernacle to unify them. We have Jesus in our hearts to unify us. This week, I had the, uh, the honor and the, the true privilege of officiating the, the funeral service for uh, Babs' self. And after the service, we were eating lunch uh, in the fellowship hall of Good Hope, Good Hope Baptist up in Juanita, Singer, right? But the sign says Juanita when you get there, so I just assume, you know, it's Singer is the address. And Jr. was talking to me afterward, and we were They're building a building, and we were looking at that, they've been doing it for quite some time. And it is, by every definition of the word, a country church. And J.R. made a a very uh, profound statement. He said, the crazy thing is, no matter where he goes to church, when he's here with us, even meeting in here, or when we had a sanctuary... Or he goes up to Singer and meets in the the country church, which is much different by design from ours. Or he goes to North Carolina and goes to a much more contemporary church even than us. It's all the same not because the buildings are the same, or the music is the same, or the style is the same, or the lighting is the same, or the dress of the preacher, or any of that. That doesn't make it the same. What makes it the same is the unity of the people and the mission that they have wherever they are. It's all the same Holy Spirit. And he's exactly right. But we all have that same, he can find that comfort no matter what church he goes to. And I promise you, it's the same thing for us. When Every time we go to the convention or go on vacation, if we are gone on a Sunday, we go to church wherever we are, and we find the same thing. They may look different. We, we intentionally go to black churches when we go to the convention or uh, multi-ethnic churches, if, if we can uh, find them, that's what we did in Phoenix. We, we branch out, and you know what we find? Jesus. That's what we find. Because we have the same mission. We have all inclined our hearts toward the mission of God, of making disciples. And we've been in uh, churches that were, the, the architecture was, super traditional but nothing about the service was we've been in old birmingham church where the architecture was typical of the 1930s and 40s church where the worship service was the a a what we would call a typical black church service we've Now met here, we've met outside in 175 degree heat in the parking lot with the face, I mean the sun boiling our faces as we sang, and it's been the same Jesus every time, the same mission, the same purpose. And that is what will unify us as a church, as God's house, we must respond in obedience, we must give ourselves for the building of his temple, our bodies as the living church, and we must incline our hearts toward his mission. That's the lesson of our reading this week. Now, Maybe, maybe you're not one of the bricks he's chosen. Maybe you're not yet part of God's building project. Maybe you've never given your heart to Jesus and you're, you're not a part of the family and, and, and you are a, you're, you're a part that's going to be, but you're not yet. You need to make that decision to follow Christ, to be a part of his church, to be a part of his family, to understand that you're a sinner because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, to understand that because of your sin, your wage is death, Eternal separation from God. not just physical death, but eternal spiritual death. But that's not the end. That's not the guarantee if you accept Christ, because Romans 6:23 goes on to say, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So you can defeat that sin. You can be a part of the family. Because of the blessed gift of our Savior, Romans 5, 8, God proves His own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He died for you. He died for every one of us. And in order to be a part of that family, to be a part of that temple that God is building, using individuals, not bricks, not cinder blocks, not sheetrock, but using people... All you must do is call in the name of the Lord. Everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Then you're a part of the family. Then you're a part of what God is doing. Y'all, every can of green beans or corn we give away, and we're really trying hard to give those away because we have a lot. Every can we give away is an opportunity to say Jesus loves you. And the comments we're getting on our Facebook page, messages we're being sent, people are hearing the message. They get it. They're understanding We are having an impact in our community. And by faith and by prayer, we are adding bricks to the temple. The holy temple that God is building, using us as a church. And maybe today, you need to become a part of what he's doing. You can do that. You can pray right where you are, asking Jesus to save you. Repent of your, confess your sins. Repent of those. Turn away from them, Say, Lord, I want you to save me. If you're watching on the video, you can do that there. You can, come, you can message us, and we'd love to talk to you about that. Pray with me. Father, I thank you that you are using us Individuals, a a body of believers. Lord, I I thank you that our usefulness to you is not dependent on any material thing. That, That you don't require buildings and air conditioning. We like them. Oh, we like them. But all you need is willing hands and hearts to give that cup of cold water, to welcome that stranger, to visit that prisoner. And you will turn our obedience into the building of your temple. God, I pray that we as a church will Will have our focus. That we will allow the the remodeling that you want to do in each of our lives. Tear down what's not useful, what's outdated, what no longer serves a purpose, what has never served a purpose. And God, build in our hearts. A kingdom mindset that permeates everything we do, every interaction we have, every word we speak or type, so that we can be evidence of your salvation, so that we can invite other bricks into the temple. God, use our church, we pray.